This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my wonderful co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Um, today I made a sandwich, and I bit into the sandwich, and I was having a really hard time chewing it, and then I realized I had just put a cheese slice in the sandwich without taking the wrapping <laughs> off of it. <laughs> I've done that. It is not fun. <laughs> and I was like, why won't this chew? What What am I doing wrong? And I realized, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> so that's how my day is going. That's, uh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you struggled with the cheese slice today. Hopefully, hopefully today gets better from there on out. And I know it's going to get at least a little improved because we have some wonderful questions from our wonderful supporters out there. So again, you if you have unwrapped these questions. I, I did. I tried very hard to make sure that they were unwrapped from their cellophane. Uh, so if you have any questions that you want answered on the podcast, be sure that you send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or be sure to send them in to us on our Discord. Uh, we'll be more than happy to uh, answer anything you have that, uh, that makes sense. Without further ado, Akamagash Watchers, are there currently any dead characters you'd like to see return to life come Shadowlands? This is a perfect time, if any, to give a character a second chance or finish an arc that was cut maybe too soon. Thanks, Gold Grip. I don't know. So we've talked a lot about who we want to see coming back uh, off and on. We've, we've talked about that as a topic. But are there any arcs or stories that you feel were left unfinished that Shadowlands could present an opportunity to, to actually work through and complete? What do you think, Matt? Well, I mean, it looks an awful lot like we're going to get more Vol'jin, even though he's dead. 
Mm-hmm. But he doesn't seem to be coming back from the dead. I think his being dead is part of the whole thing. Um, spoilers, but at least one major lore figure shows up in Bastion. I've seen the guy. Yep, I've seen uh, pictures of the guy, too. I've literally seen him. Like, I, I just got to the point where, where he was there he was. I, I guess uh, we should preface that this might this might contain some spoilers. So Well, I'm deliberately not saying who it is. So if you want to know, go look it up for somebody else. But honestly, this is one of the things I think about. And most of the time with characters, like here was my biggest problem with Vol'jin versus Varian. I thought it was weird that they both died at the same time. Obviously, it was to clear the decks and, and make some changes. But Varian, as much as I felt like they could have done a lot more with him, his death felt like fitting. Like, yeah, that's... I could see him going out that way. You know, the fact that he basically turned and sacrificed himself to get his men home, that he went out killing a giant freaking robot, you know, it felt, yeah, I can see it. Whereas with Vol'jin, it was like he got stabbed in the back and then he was gone. And he barely got a chance to do anything as Warchief. You know? So I always felt like, okay, uh, Vol'jin, we should get more because Vol'jin didn't, didn't get his proper story. He didn't, we didn't get to see him in the, in the role. Much the same way as I was with Garrosh. I felt like I didn't like how Garrosh died in that I didn't, I like, I felt like I should have been me and not, not Thrall. But it felt like a, you know, it was the end of Garrosh's story. It made sense that it ended there. And there wasn't much else to do. Garrosh's life really ended at the end of Siege of Orgrimmar. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it was that sort of was like where just his, done. That's where his story stopped. Everything else he did after was felt like an afterthought. It felt tacked on. And so I was okay with him dying when he did. Um, but I don't, like, for, here's an example people often bring up to me, Tyrion Fordring. I feel like Tyrion, Tyrion should be dead. And I have no problem with him being dead. And I don't want to see any more of him. Not because he was bad. I didn't dislike Tyrion. His story I just feel complete. like, yeah, for God's sake, the man was old. He'd done everything. He, he, he you know, he, he, sacri- he'd called out to the light for that final, you know, if let, if this is the last time, let, you know, please. He did that. Um, he was basically at that point just waiting to die. It, it not, not in a good way. I don't think like, yeah, let's kill Tyrion. But, you know, his death felt like, okay, here it is. Um, to a certain degree, I feel that's why, why the light was like so vehement that when the the Death Knights tried to go in and get his body to resin, it was like, no, no, he does not get up. He's done. He got his rest. You're going to leave him alone. And there's a lot of characters like that. I can't think of too many characters that I would want to see come back. Uh, Anduin Lothar? God, no. No. Why make him? What, what does he have to suffer through now? You know, can you imagine how confused Anduin Lothar would be with the world right now? Oh, geez, yeah. Yeah, and, and trying to, like, understand it, not because he was, like, you know, slow-witted or anything, but because it's changed so much. The idea of the Horde not not murdering the Horde wholesale, that was a life-and-death battle for him. Like, the Horde came to his world and, you know, tried to steal it. There was no negotiating with them. Like, he's going to start now? I mean, he wouldn't even know what you were talking about. I, I, do, I feel like a lot of characters, like, it, it just really... There's nobody out there I can think of who is dead with two exceptions. And one of those two exceptions is me being, you know, mean to people, quite frankly. It's just because I know it would freak them out. And the other is somebody who's actually dead but still moving in in the story right now. 
Because I've said from the beginning, I think Sylvanas Windrunner should come back to life. Yeah. Like an actual living night, a living, you know, high elf. Yeah, I've been arguing for that since before this expansion. So I'm definitely on the same page with you there. The only punishment you could possibly levy against her. Oh, yeah. You know. Force force her to actually live and feel. Yeah. And cut her off from all the, the things that, you know, are her support. Although she's done a great job of doing that herself anyway, but... Uh, the only other one is Arthas. Yeah. And the living Arthas would be fascinating. Um, if Arthas... That's one of the things, like, is Arthas in the mall right now? I would I would imagine like, he'd have to be, right? That's one of the things that's like, you know, technically speaking, Maldraxxus or Revendreth could both work for him. Especially since if you think Arthas's fall... Up to the point where he lost his soul, and thus you must consider him dead when his soul is lost. When he lost his soul, and therefore presumably when his soul was sent into the Shadowlands, was well before his worst, you know, his worst, I almost said his worst hits. Like, you know, the Arthas Menethil album, (laughs) with your greatest hits, like burning down Stratholme. But I mean, you know, killing his father, destroying Lord Aron, that's all after he lost his soul. Like, he took up the sword and his soul was destroyed. Mm-hmm. It was sent to the Shadowlands. Yeah, and you, you, you actually see that, too, if you go through and do, like, just the opening of Legion. They, they, you go after the Frost Swords, so that's the first thing you see. Yeah. So, I, I don't know if Arthas, if he's in, you know, he could be in the Maw, he could be in Revendreth, he could be in Meldraxxus. I mean, he, he fits a lot of those things. The only place he doesn't fit is Bastion. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, there's other characters who are dead. There's quite a few other characters who are dead, but I don't miss them. And I don't mean that I don't didn't like them or that I'm happy they're dead, but I don't feel like they got cheated out of their story. I felt like Illidan got cheated out of his story, and then we got it. Yeah. So, don't need him. Uh yeah, I, I really, I, there's nobody else out there I can think of that I'm upset. I mean, maybe Ysera? I, but that's... Ysera's, we know stuff is happening with Ysera, so. I, I was going to say, Ysera's on my list, um, and I'll get to that in a second, but I, I agree for the, for you that the for the most part, I think that they've done a real good job of anybody who has deceased, their story is done. Um, I'm looking at a list of all of the the NPCs that have died since the game has started, and it is a big number, like a few hundred NPCs, like not not even just like ins- all of them insignificant. Like you know, we're talking like Muru and and named characters that have helped us at, at places. Not to interrupt you, I do have to say this because at some point Annabelle might listen to this. And so I will say that Amber Kiernan got a raw deal. Sure. That's just because I don't want Anna to come to my house and, and like beat me <laughs> with like some kind of light object. But yeah, okay, so now go on. But I think that there are very few characters that feel that the story haven't reached a completion point. Vol'jin's sort of a given, and that's mostly because his story is still going, right? I do think that Ysera and I do agree that Arthas have a little bit more that could probably happen, or... I would say probably should happen to bring it to a a close, especially with everything that's going on. And the the reason I'll lobby for Arthas on this one, this is the perfect opportunity, right? This is the perfect opportunity to 
see his soul or or spirit or anima and to interact with it and see what happened after. And you know, I didn't really start thinking about this in particular until literally last night. I went back and started doing some of the Legion stuff for my Death Knight because it's cool and I never got to experience the campaign fully. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just try again with this new Death Knight. I'll just start from the beginning and go through. And one of the first things I I've, we did is because I'm playing a Frost Death Knight as I went after the Frost Artifacts because that's the thing you do. And it got me thinking, with Shadowlands coming, what actually happened to Arthas? What actually is happening with his soul? If his soul was already shattered from his body and sucked into Frostmourne, which is exactly what that scenario tells you and plays out, well, now that Frostmourne is shattered and been reforged a couple different times, where is he? What happens to him? What's going on with him? Does Is he aware of everything he did? And I'd love to see that sort of explored because Arthas was always an interesting character, not just as a vehicle for being the Death Knight, but because he was that perfect cross-section of nobility, valor, and righteous stupidity. And it was this this mentality of I can always I'm always right. I know what's best. I know what I have to do to sacrifice. I, I'm the one making all these big sacrifices. And then everything happened. I'd love to see the aftermath of that, which we never really dealt with. We never really got. And especially with Jaina coming back now, with everything centering around the Lich King and the helm of, of domination being destroyed, I'd love to see that played out a little bit more. Ysera, I really think she got a raw deal because we just killed her. Like, we flat out, like, oh, she's corrupted. Yep, put her down. And we did. And then we saw her spirit in um, the Emerald Dream at the end of the Emerald Nightmare raid. But we know that there's more stuff going on with her, and we don't know what it is yet. We've seen an updated model for her. But I also think it's a good opportunity because with the way that dragons were important at the end of Battle for Azeroth and the potential for the dragons to be important again, seeing what happened with Ysera would be good, which also leads us to maybe some of the other past aspects would be good to revisit. What happened to Deathwing's soul? What happened to, uh, why can't I think of his name now? Malagos. Not, yeah, Malagos. Malagos. You know, what happened with them? Where are they? Where do they go? And I think giving us that opportunity to see what happens to the dragons when they pass and how that affects things would be very, very cool. And I'd love to see sort of Ysera get her final moments where, you know, if she's not coming back in any capacity where she talks with her daughter or has those moments where she talks with us as the players. And I just want that feeling of completeness for those stories. But on the whole, I don't think anybody is really missing pieces anymore because most of those pieces have been filled in. The only other one I would throw out there would be Kane or Cairn, excuse me. Having Cairn uh, come back to yeah, talk to Bane one last time, I think would be fine. Okay. They've actually done that though. They've had Cairn and Bane talk. They've actually had, like they appeared, Cairn appeared to Bane in war crimes. Yeah. And they had like a reason, they had a conversation. I mean, I feel like at this point, Cairn gets dragged back more often than he needs to be. And Bane has moved on as a character to the point where he is a sufficient... I like Bane. I think he's a good leader. I think he is, too. Um, I think he's better than his father was. Um, Man, don't... Don't... Don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Why? 
Because man, I was an old school Torrent player. I loved I loved Karen. I loved Karen. When Karen too. died. When Karen died, I actually took my character that I was playing at the time to Thunderbluff the night before the patch was going to come out, and I left him there. And I've not played that character since. So fun fun fact, I, same thing. So I because I originally started playing my my shaman was a Torrin when I very first started, and when I found out you know that was going to happen. A bunch of horde players, friends of mine, we all went to uh, Thunder Bluff for the, what we called the last vigil. I think I have screenshots of it somewhere, and it was just tons of Torin just hanging out, paying homage. So yeah, I'm I'm there. Don't get me wrong, I love Kane or Karen, uh, but I think Bane is. I I'm not saying you're wrong. Character. I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> I'm just you know, man, don't don't do that. That's just not. Um, but yeah, I. Bane had to grow. We got Karen at the end of his life. Mm-hmm. We didn't. We never saw the stuff Karen went through to get there. We didn't see his his growing pains. We've seen Bane's growth process. Um, if anybody had the right to kill Garage Hellscream, it was Bane. Yeah, that would have been. And, and Bane didn't do it. Bane deliberately said, "I'm not taking revenge. Revenge is not what I'm here for." So. Uh, th- that's the thing is like, but for like a lot of characters, I mean, there are, there are sub characters. Like for instance, I brought up Amber Kiernan a little bit as a joke, but I think Anna's got a point in that Amber's death is mostly off screen and it's completely pointless. Yeah. And that kind of thing. I, I don't like, I don't like it when a character, even if it's a minor character, like Amber was a minor character still deserved a better death than that. Um, but there's no major lore figures in, in, wow, that have died that I've thought, I mean, other than my selfish desire to see them again, like I think, I think Varian is a great character and I very much miss him. I've kind of changed a little bit on my thinking of Anduin. I think that okay. he definitely needs to, I think he needs to change. He does. I, I think he does too. To, but I've been more negative towards him than I think I currently am. Uh, I would agree. <laughs> You've definitely softened over the last several months at the very least. I think part of that is the simple fact that I, I've just come to accept that we're not going to get a resolution to what happened with Teldrassil anytime soon. It's just not going to happen. And so I've kind of like, if I was going to keep playing, I had to relax on that. So I, I did. Um, this is not to say that I don't think that more could be done. I absolutely do think more could be done. But yeah, I don't, I can't think of anyone like, there's no there's no major night elf figure who died that I can think of that that should come back. The, they're all pretty much alive. That that was the people of Teldrassil who died, and that's not like you can't really bring that back as a as a group. Yeah. And- so yeah, I don't really have um, I don't really have a figure. Like I guess ultimately what I'm saying is, and I've said it several times now, is I don't want Shadowlands to bring back any of these characters. Um, I think that for the most part, their stories ended. And it's fine to see them come back because they're in the Shadowlands because they should be in the Shadowlands. That makes sense. Like, I think it would be pretty cool to see Kael'thas again as a, you know, as his life, his unlife will be to see what happened to him when he died. Uh, I'm absolutely down for that. I'm down for like seeing the other characters that I know we're going to see. That's cool, but I don't want to see them then at the end. Oh, there is one. There's one character I think should come back. Okay. I just remembered that I said this before. Deathwing. Yeah. And I don't want him to come back as crazy cuckoo, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs nutty Deathwing. I want him to come back as Neltharian. 
you want him made whole. I I don't I want him to come back as a sane character who I want to first off I want to see him in Shadowlands as a sane character who knows what happened to him. Who's like, "Yes, they used me. I understand you're afraid because here I am and I'm the terror of your heart, but here I found peace." And at the end, I want him to come back. I wouldn't even mind if Malagos came back. I definitely want Ysera to come back. If because I want the dragon flights to basically say F the dra- F the Titans, we're coming back. We're going to protect Azeroth because it's our home too. Not because some Titans told us to do it because we're not letting our, our entire be- our species get pushed into n- non-existence because we're, it's convenient. You know, I want to see, like, I think that the Shadowlands would be a good way to get the dragon flights back up to full in time for the dragon Isles expansion. Yeah, I'd be I'd be down for that, which is why I mentioned them earlier. Is I'd love to see, I'd love to see more about them in general, and I'd, I would be down for that to see them come back or brought back, or maybe that's what Rathion does during this uh, during Shadowlands. Maybe that's his ultimate goal. You know, he's been talking about yeah. making the the dragon flights whole again, making the black dragon flight whole again. Well, even if, if they don't bring back, yeah, even if they don't bring back these characters, like having them be involved in Shadowlands so we get to see their dragon yep. flights move on. Yep. That would still be cool. Like if Caligos can finally have a heart to heart with Malagos and finally be like, you know, I am the leader of my people. No more diffidence. If Melithra, you mentioned Melithra, right? Because you mentioned Sarah talking to her daughter. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so if Melithra can finally get past that feeling of inferiority. And if, you know, Deathwing could actually say to Rathion, you know, dial it back. Or, I know we're, I know how we are. We're, we're all like this. We're all we're, we're extra. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Just a, a little, just take it down a notch. Cause that was what happened to me. I was convinced I was right and I could do everything myself and everything was, and step by step, they led me. You, you need connections. You need people. You need friends and family and loved ones. And you need that. I didn't realize it until it was too late. Had I gone to my siblings and said, you know, I'm having trouble here. They would have helped me. And I didn't. And this all happened. You know, learn from my mistakes. Well, the other thing I think, we've talked about this before, the other reason I think it would be interesting, we talked about there being a mechanism to make a new aspect and what that was because, or if there, if it exists. And honestly, like, I'd love to see that addressed here too because we have, quote unquote, aspects, but they're not aspects. We have people taking over the flights, but there has been no, like, succession of power so to speak because well because even the ones that are still alive you know like caligo not there's dormu and ysera not ysera uh Alex, Alexstrasza. they're not aspects anymore but we, everybody's not an aspect anymore well the thing is like we don't know what that even means we've never known what that means all we know is that oh for, for Alex Straza, an offhanded comment of, well, now that our, our, our time's done, we can't have kids anymore. And and even then, that's that's a, an interpretation of what was said, right? It's never been dealt with. It's never been dealt with what was actually spent, what was actually lost. And with everything that we've gone through over the last couple expansions, like with everything that we learned in Legion about how, you know, the demons and the, the Titan engines and everything else were, were sort of quasi working, which we still don't fully understand, but we have at least more of an idea. How does that, how did that way back when play into the creation of the dragon flights, the aspects can, is that something that can be redone? We now have like, we, we literally just spent a good portion of this last part of the expansion 
pulling out Nalik, the the engine of Nalik Shah. Is that something we can leverage? Is that something that can then recharge them? Or is it something that they always still had the power? They just thought they were done. They were programmed to believe they were done. Like, there's so many things that could be cleared up and done with it. I'd love to see that addressed. And, and, and maybe we will, maybe we won't. But, or maybe I just really, really like dragons. Who knows? All right. Our next one, we have a two-parter, and this comes from LD Soth on Kargath. Uh, first question. Last time on Lorewatch, you guys were talking about where we go after Shadowlands. I've had a thought of something that could happen in the future, though not necessarily immediately. The old gods originated from the void flinging bits of itself throughout the material universe. What if it decided to do that again? The void has vested interest in Azeroth and many agents on Azeroth, as well as people it can communicate with Illyria, void elves and others. What if the void had a purpose for the old gods? And now that we have quote unquote, beaten them, the Void realizes original pieces failed, so it tries to send more. I know people have been worried about all of our known threads ending in the past, but it feels like this would be a good way to tie something old with something new and go from there. Do you think we'll see some sort of second wave from the Void that results in the new old god-like entities arriving? We'll we'll, we'll, We'll go through this one first before we move on to the second part. So what do you think? Do you think that we'll get more... More nope. voidy bits? Nope. Don't have to. They're because already we, out there in the universe. There's, yeah. There's a, they span the universe as countless as the stars. They don't have to throw any more in here. Just because we got rid of a few on this planet doesn't mean that they're done. Far from it. Yeah. And Far we, from it. And I've brought up Crush a few few thousand times, I think, at this point. That's yeah, still out there, too. Crush, uh, by the way, I want to take some issue with you when you talk about that. You seem to connect Crush with the world we saw when we were doing, um, Oh bloody heck. Uh, the Nightwell raid. Mm-hmm. The, the Astro, there's no reason to believe that the world that we saw in the Astromanter encounter was Koresh. There's no dialogue that says it is. And there's no reason to think it is. Koresh is a different, completely differently destroyed by the void world. So there's at least two of them out there. And there's probably a, there's probably more. more than two. Yeah. Way more. Because, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I go back to the Harbinger Skyrus fight all the way back in Mechanar. That guy comes out, and he's a, he's a, he's an, a, a Karaji. He's not an Akir. He is a Karaji prophet. And he says, we span the universe. Mm-hmm. And no force has the power to make us bend our knee. Not even the Mighty Legion. This is going back. This is a BC encounter. And... Keep in mind that in BC, we also see the uh, the Sethek summoning something through a portal that is using the it's using the Cthulhu model. So it's entirely possible there are like there are void entities out there in the cosmos right now, all sorts of worlds doing all sorts of things, things we wouldn't even recognize. The, you know, the, the, the whole thing that that cursed the Sethic that created the wingless Arcoan. That's from them. Mm-hmm. That's from the entities that were being summoned through corrupting one of their gods. So it is really not necessary the void. I don't think the void threw bits of itself into our universe as a conscious decision. I think it did it as a spasm. Cause keep in mind that the light void balance has always been one where the void comes from eddies and the light. 
and the void wants to return the entire cosmos to that place before the light existed sort of thing. It's one of those we, we tend to ascribe to thought what happens by existence. It's much like, you know, if an elephant steps on a beehive, it didn't step on the beehive thinking, I hate bees. It stepped on a beehive taking a step forward. I don't, I don't think that the void will ever throw more things into our universe because that's an immediate response. And I don't think the void thinks in our time terms, if it thinks at all. And it doesn't have to because it seeded the whole bloody universe. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. They're so widespread and so terrifying that a Titan decided he had to burn the whole universe down to get rid of them. Yeah, I definitely don't think we need to see more of them created that way. Yeah, and I tend to agree. I think that there's so much out there that we still haven't dealt with. And the only reason that I keep bringing up Koresh is because it, with the frequency of which Ethereal seemed to be being brought back in, in some capacity, it to me it's the logical next step is that that's something we're going to deal with at some point. Especially with like Locust Walker talking about, you know, the fall of his people and the, the whole the void thing there. I just make the, the leap and I know that it's a leap that that's what we saw, but it could not be. But it is one of, like you said, multiple planets or celestial bodies or things out there that have been void touched. It could be there's so many things that we haven't dealt with, so many things we haven't seen or 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 really experience they don't have to create new horrors we just haven't seen all the ones that have been there for eons yet so maybe we'll wind up going to different planets or maybe we'll wind up uh bouncing around the place it's not like we haven't done it already it's not like there isn't a uh, a precedent for it already i think that's more likely than seeing another wave of of old god uh rising up from the void sort of being thrown back in the other thing, and this is something Matt said several times and I, I tend to agree with, we're also operating on the, the idea that we have beaten the old gods. We haven't beaten anything. Like, this is... Titans couldn't defeat them. Titans couldn't kill them completely. What are we? So, I don't think that maybe we'll see a second wave of new ones. I think we might, if anything, at some point, find out more about what the ultimate plan was of these old gods. And maybe we'll have a second wave from them that we've already dealt with because again, they're not beaten. We didn't kill them. We just sort of did things and it looks like we won and that's it. Like even with Nazoth in the encounter, the, the whole carapace of Nazoth cut scene where you have Rathion stabbing Nazoth with Zalatath to try to suck his soul into him. And it doesn't even do the whole thing. You still have to go fight pieces of him because it can't contain all of it. All of Nazoth is not defeated in that moment. Okay, if they're that vast and that powerful, have we really won? Have we really beaten anything? No, there'll probably be repercussions later, but that's how it usually goes with us. The second question, Matt mentioned last time the idea of an expansion where we just discover new planes of existence. We've also seen a future in the Anduin comic of the true end of the Burning Legion, and Anduin is very old there, and they are on what looks like to be the Exodar or some similar Eridar-style ship. So, tinfoil hat theory, what if in the future, Azeroth hatches, and that is prompting for us to 
uh, go out into the universe. Magni gets a vision from Azeroth of its birth, and Azeroth warns us it's coming so we can escape. This could be a bridge between Alliance and Horde. One, we need a new home if we are to survive. Two, Orcs and Draenei both have already been through the whole we need a new home thing, and putting all of the Azerothian citizens through all of that could be a rallying point uh, that finally maybe bury the hatchet. Obviously, if Azeroth Hassian is an end to our planet, that would be a fundamental change to the world, even more extreme than the Cataclysm revamp. Do you think a change of this drastic nature would ever be implemented? How would you feel about a future version of WoW where, lore-wise, we can never go back? Obviously, they would have Azeroth be there in game for an, in an old-time capacity. So, yeah. Um, I think I know what you're going to say with this, but I'm going to let you go first anyway. Okay, I'm going to say no, they're never going to do that. Um, because in a very real way, and I think WoW Classic of all things shows this, Azeroth is the main character of World of Warcraft. It is the title character of World of Warcraft. When you're talking about World of Warcraft, you are talking about Azeroth, the world of Warcraft. I don't think we know anything about what happens when a Titan develops. We first off don't know if they hatch. We have been assuming that they hatch, but we don't know that. We know that when they came to Azeroth, they felt that they were so large that they imperiled the world. Like they couldn't go in themselves and clean things up. Um, when Amonthul reached down to grab Yashaj, he used two fingers to do it. So it's quite possible that up until the point where they were destroyed fighting the Legion, that they were walking around in their planets, that their planets became their bodies. And thus, they had all the living things that they always had on them, much the same way that, I don't know if you know this, but you have literally trillions of bacteria living in you right now. Don't be alarmed. Yeah, living in <laughs> you and on you. You constantly do. Your gut is utterly full. You couldn't digest food without them. In fact, this is one reason why if you get really sick and throw up a lot, uh, and then afterwards you try and eat, often the food doesn't, You what happens after is unpleasant. Because you got sick and you lost a lot of your gut flora, you're not digesting food as well. You've got them in your blood. It, it, every one of your cells has a thing called a mitochondria in it, which is a passenger that, you're, that our unicellular organism ancestors picked up. It's effectively another unicellular organism that you stuck inside your cells. Every one of the cells in your body has one. They're like little power generators. That's all they do. They just they generate food for your cells. That kind of interconnectedness is pro is partially, it's possibly one of the reasons why we have to be involved in all this. That's a thing that you've seen from the beginning. This is not a situation that Azeroth is going to save us. Mm -hmm. And it never has been. I don't think at any point Azeroth is going to, to just wake up and save the day and become this Titan. That's the point. Is It's up to us in our lifetime to do all this stuff so that in an unimaginably distant future, possibly Azeroth could wake up. And it's even been said by people who were working on World of Warcraft, although it was not said in an official capacity, but it's been said that it's never going to happen, that Azeroth can't wake up. Now, do they mean that literally, or do they mean that narratively? I, that's not clear. And in fact, the, the pains were made to say, I'm not speaking on behalf of the World of Warcraft team, I'm just speculating but i think you have to look at it in the case of 
it's never going to be a game about planets waking up and fighting. This is not an anime. This is not the end of Transformers where Unicron gets his butt handed to him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this is a this is a game about us. It's going to stay on our scale. Things like that are the threats we have to deal with. They're not they're they're not ante- they're not protagonists. Yeah, and if you think about it too, like you make a really 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 good point. Uh, if the game becomes that big, what's our point in being there? What's the point of the player character? We can't fight a planet. We can't fight something that scale. Even if you look at the Argus encounter, the Titans pull Argus into a manageable form. They strip some of his power down and we finish it. It's not we take him at full power. Sargeras, we don't even fight Sargeras. We punch his avatar which has been hanging down in the, you know, the temple, the, the temple of Loon's basement for X number of years. And that's a shell. And then when we get to the final encounter, we don't do it. The Titans are the ones that grab him and imprison him. And we get sent back to the planet. We get sent back to Azeroth. So like, it's, it's a scale factor thing there, I think. And that's fine. And I think that's where the heart of the game really lies is, we can work alongside of those events. And, and this is something that I've always, I've always, I've talked about with like different books and stories throughout the years. Sometimes the main story is its own big thing that operates in its own timeline, but that doesn't take away from anything that's happening at the same time as it things that happened in parallel or in support of it. And that's sort of where we lay. As far as player characters, yes, we are the focus of our own story, and yes, that's where the game is going to be, but this whole overarching story of light versus void, while we are agents that operate within that context, that's a battle on a magnitude that we we don't directly fight, right? We support that fight. We do things at a smaller scale that help that fight we don't just go and punch the void ourselves. We punch agents of the void or we do things to stop the flow of those agents of the void and whatever they would be doing that would essentially be doing the exact opposite of us. But yeah, no, think I, of it I, this way. Yeah. Think of it this way. When we confronted one of the old gods, any one of them that we've confronted, it's usually at the end of an entire, you know, entire area that they control. Like, like you know, Cthulhu, it's the, the seized on Karage with Yog Saron, it's it's Alduar with Nizoth, it's it's his um I would, I would argue reality. that I would, I would argue Yog is the entirety of Northrend. Yeah, but my point is just that they are smaller than the Titans by orders of magnitude. There there is they are to the Titans what you know diseases are to us. Their component parts are hard for them to even see, and when they tried to kill one, they just made things worse. This, it's not just scale, it's also scope. And keep in mind that we didn't... We've yet to actually successfully destroy a ty- an old god. You know, we haven't killed one of them. I mean, they, they keep going after they're dead. I'm doing air quotes, you can't see them. Uh, there's just... <sighs> yeah, like you brought up Chalgal and, and Cthune. Yeah. You don't want to lose. You don't ever want to be the game where we just go from planet to planet, blowing up these things in our giant super ship, because that loses. There's a lot to be said for World of Warcraft as the game where you show up in an area and like, hey, can I help? 
And sometimes the things you're doing are like are pretty serious and, and grim. And sometimes they're silly. And sometimes that's fine. Through poop. Yeah, I was, you know, I was wasn't going to bring up a poop quest, but yeah, that's that's <laughs> certainly true. But there's like, I mean, I was just doing, I I was just leveling uh, my light forge. I just got him to 120. Uh, please send gear. And um, one of the things that happened, I was as I was playing him, was I noticed was, I'm doing stuff. Some of the some of the stuff I'm doing is like, you know, these evil witches are loose, and I got to stop them. But then I was like, I, I I come upon this farm that's having trouble with like fungus monsters. It's completely unrelated to anything else I've been doing in the whole area of Drusvar. But it's a chunk of questing that I where I go and I help them. And I it's are the little are the fungus monsters really important in the grand scheme of things? No. But that's you don't want to lose that from the story. You don't want the lord of the game to lose those small moments. Cuz those small moments, especially when you're, you know, since you're leveling solo most of the time, those small moments are important. The really big world-shaking stuff is for group play. It's the story of everyone. Everyone in Azeroth has a stake in this. It's everybody's story. But then your character has their small story bits. And sometimes there's stuff that goes from one to the other. Like if you're playing your Death Knight and you show up in Drustvar and then there's like a whole little quest thing about red dragons who are suspicious of you and think you might be out to desecrate the, the remains of one of their greatest and you're like, no, no, I only did that the one time. I don't, I don't go around desecrating corpses constantly. That'd be a lot of work. I mean, I mean only only when only when I'm told to do so by a guy that sits on a throne. Only when I specifically am going to get our sweet ride out of it. That guy over there wants a sweet ride, but I already have a sweet ride. Why do I? I don't need to help him get a sweet ride. That's not my thing. Like so, there's a lot to it, and I think that there's a balance to be had between those really big, epic, world-shaking moments. If they blow up Azeroth, whether they blow it up so that Azeroth can become a Titan or not. If you remove Azeroth, you not only remove that world full of stories that has, you know, kept people ent- entertained and invested for like 16 years now and more because it, like all the Warcraft games before it, you prevent those any new stories of those type ever being told again because now everything's a battle for survival. There's no goofy little quest where I fight mushroom people. There's no weird little horde quest where a talking raptor is trying to get you to do stuff. There's There's just the big epic story of our race of all of our people fighting for survival. There's a reason you don't want to like, there's, there's a, there's a balance between changing things and, you know, actually making them gone. That I think, I think Shadowlands in a way is about that. I think so too. Yeah. It's, it's about that idea of, you know, the, the legacy of things from the past that, you know, so just because something is over doesn't mean it's dead. So, I don't think they're ever going to do that straight up. I don't think they're ever going to blow up Azeroth and have us wandering the universe looking for a new place to live. Yeah, I, I definitely tend to agree with that. I don't think I don't think we're ever going to get to that point. And like you said, while nothing has really been said in an official capacity, I I really do believe that we're never going to see a moment where Azeroth wakes up because it sort of defeats kind of that purpose. And if you want to really take it back and take a look at Battle for Azeroth, if nothing else you can look at the time in Legion at the end when that sword got stabbed into to Azeroth and everything that's happened with the gathering of Azeroth and, and essentially stealing her power of other ways that were just keeping the Titan asleep, keeping the Titan in hibernation for as long as the story demands it. If anything, the day that Azeroth wakes up is the day the servers go dark. Like, 
that's the only way I see that happening is a amazing cinematic by Taron from Taron Gregory and team that that's the end thing. That's the last thing we see when world of Warcraft has reached this point where nobody's playing anymore and they want to do one final event, kind of like what happened with, with uh, the original star Wars uh, uh, galaxy online. So I agree. I don't think we're going to have that moment where we're looking for a new home to survive. There may be moments where we go to other planes of existence to do something specific, or we may go to another planet to do something specific, but it's not going to be quite like you're describing here. I don't think it's not going to be that big uh, and it's not going to be that permanent. We're always going to return back home. And I really think Rossi has a fantastic point at the end of the day, we're heroes. And if you look back at, at classic WoW, if you look back at the quests and stories over the years, a lot of those stories, even recently, were helping individuals. We're being heroes, not just as somebody in a war. We're being heroes to this farm, to this family, to this community. We're doing the things that they can't do. You know, yeah, we fight old gods and we you know wield powerful magics and have had ancient artifacts but sometimes somebody still has to go deal with the quill bores. you know somebody still has to deal with them the marauding centaurs that are destroying everything around them like these things still have to be handled and they're just as important because without us dealing with that life doesn't continue for those npcs for those those communities for those characters that are being affected by it and if you take that away from the game, I feel that the game loses a little bit of its heart because that's sort of like the classic fantasy thing. I don't ever want to see that go away. All right. Uh, our next one comes from Dirges, a torn druid uh, from Silvermoon. Hi, guys. It's been a few months since I've played WoW or Final Fantasy XIV, but I wanted to bring up a couple things. I know Joe has talked about Final, Final, Final Fantasy XIV in the past, and I wanted to get his opinion on uh, Emmett Selch as a bad guy, if you've played through the whole story, and how you would rate him in comparison to WoW villains. For me, he's probably one of the v best villains I've seen in any game. Um, I actually haven't gotten uh, through that far into the game, so I really can't answer uh, as far as comparatively, uh, as far as that goes. But I will say that I think some of the bad guys in WoW, I don't, th I think other games are hard pressed to create such villains that are either uh, equally as, uh, as, as lovable and hateful at the same time. Like Garrosh is a perfect example for me. I love him and hate him all at the same time. I don't feel like that about many other villains from many other games. So I'll let you know when I get to get to that section. Uh, I'm still working my way through uh, and still learning all about the Asians and, and all that stuff. So I know that he's important in that, but not quite uh, not quite the full thing yet. Uh, the second part of Dirge's question, you guys were talking about Exiles Reach and Shadowlands having a training dungeon in Final Fantasy 14 Shadowbringers. Uh, there is the trust system where you can run a dungeon with main story NPCs from that dungeon zone. They did this to make solo content easier to complete as their dungeons are required as part of the main quest line. Do you think Blizzard is sort of trialing this in Exile's Reach to perhaps bring in something similar? Uh, love the show. Thanks for making co uh, confinement easier. I don't know. I mean, I know that Blizzard plays other games. Oh, um, yeah. I know at least some people at Blizzard play Final Fantasy XIV. Um, that's just a fact. It's not. This is not new to 
Final Fantasy fourteen, by the way. No. City of Heroes had this. City of Heroes absolutely did this. Yeah, so that that game came out in two thousand four. And um, that game just, actually no, it was a little before. Wasn't it a little before WoW? Nope. Uh, yeah, no, it was two months before WoW. It was yeah. literally two months before WoW came live. And it does so help that a couple of the developers from City of Heroes do work on uh work on, on WoW. Just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, I mean it's it this is not a new idea. It's it's something that's been discussed before. Um, I don't know if Blizzard is going to do it with other stuff. I don't think so because I think they definitely see this as just so you get a, you get a taste of how it's supposed to go. Um, I don't think we're going to get to the point where you're like at level like sixty, running end game content with like you know a NPC tank. Um, I know a lot of people would like that, and quite frankly, you're all bad people for trying to make tanks lose their jobs. <laughs> but what if you are a tank? I, then I will tank the dungeon. What's the problem? I did. I didn't. Oh no! I should totally be able to get a group of NPC DPS. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Absolutely. No. That's. But but I've already made the point that that DPS are bad people. I just want to make sure I get that hammered in. You're bad people. I'm I'm gonna get so many. De- I'm gonna get death threats. And letters. You know, if you feel, if, if you have strong feelings about this, make sure you send those into the podcast. Yeah. I am kidding, but now my serious point. I don't think Blizzard wants to make it so that you don't have to get a group to do this stuff. And I don't think they want to make it so you can get, you know, reliable NPC healers. Look, look at everything they've ever done with an NPC healer. Look at like the, you know, the, the, the trial, I want to say the trial grounds, the proving grounds. What was it called? Proving. You remember back? Yeah. Yeah. You remember where you'd have to go and you'd have the healer. Mage tower. Those, Those healers were garbage. Any content I've ever done where there's an NPC healer, the healer has been very bad. Um, so I don't, I don't think that's something Blizzard's going to do. But I do understand why you're asking about it. I, I do think to a certain degree there's the constant push and pull between... This is really not a lore question, but um, there's a constant push and pull between storytelling and making content accessible to everyone. You want to have the story be there for everybody. You want to let everyone see it. But at the same time, you also want to have stuff that's self-contained. Like you want to have a dungeon that the story of the dungeon is self-contained, but you also want it to be part of the zone or it's in. They've done that hundreds, like dozens of times now. Oh, yeah. And it's always been kind of an issue. Uh, one that really comes to mind for me as like a really good exemplar of this is uh, the Ravencrest stuff in legion when you're you're doing the area around we forget how big the legion zones were and they were pretty big and uh the the the, the ravencrest uh, area with with Maiev and jared and you do that and you get to the end and then you, the dungeon is like at the very end of it and you you then run the dungeon and it's part of the story of the whole thing but they had to make it so the story ended before you actually go into the dungeon because you you know the, the story up till that point is just you, it's you and them running around, and then suddenly, you now need a group of like four other people to see how the, the, the what was really going on inside you know, the Ravencrest area, and it's it is always going to be one of those situations where it's like you know if we just make it so you can solo this or it's a scenario, then it's not really a five man dungeon anymore, and nobody's going to want to run it as a five man. Like I do think there's a certain amount of push pull between what you want to do as a storyteller and what you want to do 
for gameplay. And I think that having too much of this accessibility for like, you know, you can just run everything solo. I mean, is there, is there a nice way to say if I could run everything solo, I would never bother with groups? No. And that's not because there aren't good people running groups, but I will never forget the dungeon where the tank had a macro that said racist things every time he threw his shield. And I'm talking some really racist things. And I mean, I, I, I was like, F this, you're a jackass and drop the group. But then I had to now, now I had to go and either tank that dungeon myself or wait for my, my cooldown to, you know, and either way I had to wait for my, my deserter cooldown. I got the deserter cooldown because I dropped group with a racist tank, you know? So that, that tank, by the way, that guy, you can totally get robots to replace. Um, I, I do think that there's always going to be a storytelling problem here in that group content needs to have a compelling story, but it also needs to be group content. You, you can't make group content and then make, if you make it accessible as a single player experience, that's what it will become. I, I understand where the concern comes from, from both sides on this one. And this is a conversation I've had with a few of my friends uh, rather frequently. I do have a friend who, who plays this game uh, very much solo and still wants to experience a bunch of the story. And I think this was more of a problem, I want to say up through Wrath of the Lich King, because the dungeons and raids were all intricately, like they were tied to the story. Now it's sort of been pulled back where the major story elements aren't necessarily in the raids anymore. They're they're, they're in dungeons and, and there is definitely stuff there. And I think that it's become a little more accessible in that regard. Like you don't have to get a raid together to go experience the story or to deal with, you know, LFR. And even if you do deal with LFR, you know, you get this opportunity to see the cutscenes and see those moments. And it's not necessarily about the fight themselves anymore like it used to be. And I think that sort of opened that up as much as it can be. I do... I don't mind the idea of looking at a system that helps fill gaps when things are certainly uh, weird times. Because I know there are also people that play at like, you know, odd hours and there aren't groups around. And even though they've made some some adjustments to that, um, it still can be bad sometimes, right? Like it still can be those moments where you're waiting for. I'm gonna a be a problem with you, man. I gotta say this. My best groups have been playing at odd hours where there's nobody awake. Like that's when All right, I'm just going to have to kiss your butts Australians. That's when the Australians and New Zealanders are playing. And I'm sorry. They're better. They're nicer. They know what they're doing. They don't talk a lot. They don't expect me to talk a lot. I if I run LFD, when I run LFD as a tank because that's usually when I do it. I have only one thing I want from my groups. Don't expect me to talk. I'm not gonna. I have nothing to say. I want to do the dungeon and leave. It's not that I'm not friendly. I'm not friendly, but that's not what it is. I have specific social anxiety issues. I can do the job of tanking. I can do it pretty well. I can't do the job of tanking and the job of making you feel good about things. I have to focus really intensely on what I'm doing. It is just a quirk of the way my brain works. And I think it happens with a lot of players. A lot of players, I, I do think this this speaks to a certain play experience. It's not the 
the socializing in WoW is real socializing. It's real. You are socializing with people. Not everybody is good at that. I'm terrible at socializing with people. I, I may sound extroverted here because here I am leaping in and interrupting Joe like some kind of jackass, but I'm not like this in real life. Like I have a very hard time interacting with people. And that's why I, LFD terrified me when it came out because suddenly I had to like, you know, when I was doing dungeon groups, mostly with just my guild, I only had to socialize with people I already kind of had socialized with. Now I suddenly have to socialize with everybody. So for me, I love late groups. I love them. I think they're awesome. But I get what you're saying about how for other people it's pain because they can't really get a group. They have to wait too long. And I do think absolutely this is this is the problem with the DPS tank healer imbalance that WoW has had forever. And I mean, we're well we are way out of the lore thing here, but Well yeah, and I was kind of I was kinda of kind of getting to that point when bringing it back to the lore thing is more as long as they continue to make the story accessible in some manner, then everything else becomes a mechanics thing. So if they look at ways to allow players to experience the story, if they can't or aren't up to doing a group or they have those odd play hours, then I'm okay. It's if story continues to be locked behind uh, group content that players may not be able to get to, especially now that we have such divisions of the uh, server groups so that like, when I'm playing at three o'clock in the morning uh, in North America, I don't necessarily get, you know, Australian players because they don't play on the North American servers. They play on the Oceanic servers, at least now. Oh, no, man, they they still do. They're still there. My my DPS queues say otherwise, but if the DPS they... are messed up for a completely different reason. <laughs> wow. We we have to move on to another question because this this will eat the show and it's not it's a it, lore show. We it will. I just want the I just want the the point is I just want them to make sure that players can access the story, and they've had some interesting vehicles to do that in the past with like the what was the name of that fountain that was in like the middle of Dollar and that let you see the entire scenario or the entire I don't I don't remember if it had a specific name. It was like Tyrion Ford Ring statue and everything. It was it was. It was interesting. As people pointed out, Tyrion, the last thing that Bolvar says to Tyrion is, let my name be forgotten. And the first thing Tyrion does is build a giant gold statue of himself that well, yeah. plays out what happened. Obviously, that doesn't actually do that, but it was funny. It's much of the same as when Tyrion decided to have his great big, uh, his big t- tournament in Ice, you know, in Ice Crown Citadel, like right next to Ice Crown Citadel. And he's like, uh, let, let Azeroth's greatest warriors come here and then fight each other. It's like, Tyrion, man, how are you going to get them to show up? I will offer them pets. Yeah, they'll, they'll murder each other for pets. Absolutely. You're totally right. All right. Well, let's get to our last question here while we still have some time. Uh, hello, Blizzard Watch. I have a question on how you organize the expansions in games of Warcraft. The recent uh, trend of having narrative points of the end of one expansion having some tie into the next had me thinking how some themes actually grouped many of the earlier expansions and games together in a similar way. I came around to mentally creating these groups so far. Warcraft 1 and 2, they set up the base world and concept of Warcraft with a notable character here and there, uh, personally called the Classic Saga. Warcraft 3 sets up the world as to how it should start out in World of Warcraft and creates an idea of a greater world beyond orcs and humans fighting. 
uh, Vanilla, Burning Crusade, and Wrath of the Lich King. These uh, expansions set around the people of Azeroth in coming to grips with what happened in the Third War. Cataclysm, Azeroth may be done with Arthas, but Deathwing's destruction started to make clear that nothing has ever stagnant, which renews old conflicts based on decisions made previous. Mists of Pandaria, Warlords of Draenor, and Legion, question mark. A desire for final resolution to the faction's conflicts. Uh, faction conflict leads to Rathion unintentionally paving the way for the Legion's return. Legion was tied to Warlords of Draenor narratively, but it feels it seems are separate enough that where it could be like Cataclysm and on its own. I was going to wait until the expansion after Shadowlands to make any final call for Legion and see where Battle for Azeroth is. I was wondering what sort of grouping you guys generally would think of when it comes to war, when it comes to Warcraft. Thanks for all the discussion you have. Uh, Necrosis of Coral Astras. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that, do you think that there are groupings or do you think that everything stays con- continuous throughout? I mean, this is, this is an artificial thing that he's doing just to make it, it's for him, which is fine. Uh, you, he's putting out themes that he sees and so forth. I would argue that Warcraft one through th- the, the Warcraft RTS games are all of a piece. And keep my again now. I want to I want to stress this. This is an artificial series of distinctions I'm making for my own ease of use. This is not. I'm not intending to, to argue. This is how anyone else should do this. But I would argue that the Warcraft RTS games all kind of form a continuum. That they are going from smallest scale to largest scale on Azeroth. Like, you start off in one human kingdom. And the orcs come through in that one kingdom, and that's the story of the first game. Then it it expands out to all the the human kingdoms and some non-human kingdoms, like the, the dwarves and elves and gnomes, getting involved as the orcs push out and as they destroy Stormwind. Now it's all these nations coming together to try and fight back the, the, the orc onslaught, to try and save their world from invasion. Third game is, okay, that happened, now what? And it shows that the forces that were behind everything that happened in the first game are far from gone. Like, sure, the orcs aren't the threat they used to be, but that's because the, the beings that made the orcs the threat they were had decided to take a personal hand. And now the orcs have to decide who are we going to be now that we're not, we're not these bloodthirsty tools anymore. What kind of people are we going to be? And they find other people who have been pushed to the margins at the same time. The trolls, the tauren. That's, that's the big message. We, you have the Forsaken get created, and that's very much the legacy of the, of the Legion. So you get that, ha- that happens as well. You you were introduced to the night elves, and you find out that the entire elven history that you knew was just just like the last chapter in a much longer story. There's a lot of expansion in in Warcraft three, but it's very much of a piece with Warcraft one and two. It's very much this is this world, this is this is Azeroth, this is the world that we're fighting over, this is the war we're having, and the end of it. In a way, there's the biggest dropped ball I think in the history of Warcraft is that the message of the end of Warcraft 3 was abandoned. Because the message of the end of Warcraft 3 is, we can't keep doing this. <clears throat> you know, it, Imagine the world where we come into World of Warcraft and it's humans, orcs, elves, you know, tauren, trolls, all fighting together to try and defeat you know, the forces that threaten their planet. Because that's where we were left at the end of, War, of Warcraft 3. That's the message at the end of Warcraft 3. We all have to come together. We all have to fight. 
And that's not what, so that's not what World of Warcraft is. So I put those three games together. They're all together. They're over here. And very much the story that starts in the first game is the story at the, is the story of the, the end of the third game complete with medieval returning. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is in very, in a very real way, the story of medieval's hubris. It's, it's all about what he has wrought with other characters as well. You could, you could also make it the story of just how incredibly freaking evil um, Gul'dan is, and you would not be far off. Uh, but you know, there's there's characters who who pop up through all that. Uh, Nirzul becomes the Lich King, so forth, so on. That's to me, that's that's a story block. That's like if you were considering this like movies, that that'd be the the original trilogy, right there. You come to like, there's also a lot of source material that isn't games that we have to keep in mind. For instance, there's the Lord of the Clans Rise of the Horde books, which definitely bridge the original games to the to the later stuff to the, to the later world of warcraft and those those various novels like the last guardian by jeff grubb these novels have to be kept in mind when talking about because they they form like the day of the dragon book uh last guardian the the especially lord of the clans and uh, rise of the clans these books form a bridge that, that lets you go from the original to the later stuff. Um, they're definitely like a path one walks over to get there. World of Warcraft itself, the original classic World of Warcraft, is by itself. And I don't group any expansions with it. Because it is an approach to the storytelling of World of Warcraft that has never happened again. There is no final villain in the original world of Warcraft, there's no end. Like he keeps every, every patch comes out and suddenly whole new threats are there. Every patch is effectively an expansion. Like think about you, you start off the, the first before, before the first real big coming in of stuff, you've got, you know, you've got molten core, you've got a Nixie out in the swamps, you've got various dungeons and so forth. And that's like, that's end game is Molten Core and Anixia. And they, they're just, they're teases. They're hinting at what's to come. Blackwing Lair drops, and suddenly, like, you've got this huge new threat the tying in the Black Dragonflight. And, and his whole idea for a chromatic Dragonflight, and that's right there. Then you have, after that, you've got Ankaraj. And, Zul, you know, Zul'Gurub drops, I think, before that. Zul'Gurub drops, and that's got, like, the it's got, you know, the story of Hakkar, which ties into stuff that's in the game. And then the Dragons of Nightmare show up as a prelude, and then we have Ankaraj after that. And these things all kind of flow into each other. And very much to me, World of Warcraft, the original World of Warcraft, feels completely like it is a thing that is here. And it doesn't connect thematically to the rest of the stuff. Because Burning Crusade comes out, and Burning Crusade is a huge callback to Warcraft 3. And specifically a callback to all the stuff with Illidan, and Kael'thas and Lady Vosh. So it's it's a callback to the first World of Warcraft expansion. You know, because that wasn't that wasn't the end of the game. The, we forget that World of Warcraft, you know, had expansions. It had the Frozen Throne. It, it had stuff come out after the initial campaigns. So that's what Burning Crusade feels like to me. It feels like Burning Crusade and Wrath of the Lich King are tied together, and that they're they're two sides. They're like the two, the legacies of the Warcraft three expansions in expansions to world of Warcraft. Then I would say cataclysm and mists of Pandaria come together in a similar way to me. 
where you've got BC and Wrath are both the, the legacy of what had happened in previous stuff. Cataclysm is like, oh, did you forget me? And with, with Deathwing. That's Deathwing reminding us, oh, before you ever even heard of that Arthas Menethil kid, I was the scariest thing in World of Warcraft, and this is why. I was the scariest thing in, in, in Warcraft, I should say, not World of Warcraft. But, and he comes back, and he is the scariest thing. Arthas might have turned the world into like a, float, a floating planet full of corpses, but Deathwing might just destroy it. Straight up destroy it. To this day, no other servant of the old gods has ever been as scary as Deathwing was. The problem with Deathwing wasn't that he wasn't scary and terrifying. It was that they forgot to let him have his personality. Yeah. And that's, that's another issue. But they, they presented only the kaiju and very little of the Machiavellian schemer. We didn't get the guy who almost got them to give him rulership of, of Alterac. He almost, like, they almost married Kalia Menethil off to this guy. And they, we didn't get to see any of that guy. And that was a shame. But I think Cataclysm and Missa Pandaria are, very, are, are of a piece. And they're, they're like, this is the world being broken. This is the result of the world being broken. The whole thing with Garrosh, the whole thing with finding Pandaria, the whole thing with fighting over resources, that's the result of... And that it, that goes back to Burning Crusade. When you, did you have the Burning Crusade, our, our book? Yep. Did you ever read the thing about Zaxxus in it? Uh, a long time ago. The whole point is that one of the things Deathwing liked to do was create resource shortages... Yeah, and then he would he would take down natural barriers to allow people who were in conflict to to fight. He liked this. Everything that's been going on since Cataclysm, that's he did Cataclysm to cause this. The whole bit with the Horde and Alliance fighting over resources, that's exactly up Deathwing's. You know, even with even defeated, that's exactly what Deathwing wanted. That's the kind of thing Deathwing did. So that's why, to me, Mister Pandaria and Cataclysm go together. And then I go with. I think Warlords of Draenor leads right into Legion, leads right into Battle for Azeroth. And I think that's that's the way they're going to be going from now on, where every expansion kind of follows hard upon the one before it. And in a way, they feel like classic World of Warcraft did to me, in that each one is connected to what's going on. So Warlords of Draenor, at first, I mean, it had some serious problems. As a story, as a story device... Warlords of Draenor had some significant issues. I think that's fair to say. But if without Warlords of Draenor, you don't get Legion. Without Legion, we, none of the stuff happening in Battle for Azeroth right now would make any sense. And all of those things happen hard upon each other in much the same way that Molten Core and Anixia led straight into Blackwing Lair, led straight into Zul Garub, which led straight into the Dragons of Nightmare, which led straight in, it led straight into the Dragons of Nightmare in that the Dragons of Nightmare were directly related to Aranicus, who was directly related to the corruption from Hakkar. We forget that. That stuff is all connected. And that's what Warlords of Draenor to Battle for Azeroth feels like to me. So in a way, it feels like instead of expansions, they feel like patches to a big game, the way that we got in Classic. Yeah, that's, that's more how I feel about things. Like I haven't really... I don't group the expansions... And the reason that I don't group the expansions uh, and the and the classic game is very simple. I look at Warcraft one, two, and three as like I don't want to say baby's first D and D game, but it's almost like the self-contained uh, campaign where everything that happens feeds from a very very distinct starting point and has a very distinct end point, and then that's it. It's completely contained. 
Um, I really do feel like that with with Warcraft one, two, and three, as well as the Frozen Throne expansion. What World of Warcraft has always felt like for me is when you dust off that old campaign that you ran once upon a time and revisit it and make it better. So it's like it it feels like the first game I ran as like a teenager versus the game that I ran as an adult after years of experience. And everything that happened from classic on has been interwoven into the next steps, whether you think about that or not. Everything feeds into something else. Everything feeds into the next threat. Everything is something. So, I, like, while there are things that tie up, it feels like, yes, a single plot point is being tied up. But how many of these branches, and we talked about this before, how many different plot seeds, how many different lore seeds have been planted throughout the years, and we're still dealing with it. And it's stuff that hasn't happened previously it's stuff that happened in game or has happened in, like you said, the different books that are take place in that sort of time between games that act as sort of that glue. It's all encompassed together as far as I'm concerned into one giant campaign. So I don't really divide them out. I I think like that, I can understand why people would, and you can kind of group them into story arcs. Yeah. Um, See, I use, I, like I said before, when we started this, it's completely artificial. And for me, it's a tool. Yeah. It's to help me think about how the themes developed. I really feel like the themes developed in a specific way for the first three games that they didn't develop in later games, and that's why I find it useful to break them up the way I do. And that's but fair. it is it is totally this is just people people do this with everything. People like to organize and find patterns even when the patterns aren't intended or maybe not even what the people doing it had in mind. It's just what happens. And you, if that's how you want to, if you want to organize it differently, don't let us stop you. Like that's absolutely something you can do with any media. If it helps you to think about, if it helps you to think of, like for instance, use Star Wars as an example. If instead of thinking about it in the way that that Lucas does, if instead you like to think about it in terms of like you know, in groups of movie dyads, that's fine. You can do that. No one's stopping you. Um, so yeah, please keep that in mind. Yeah, we're not we're not telling you that it's wrong. I'm not trying to tell you that that what you're saying or, or you're going through is 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 not the right way. As long as it's right for you, that's all that matters. It's my comments are basically just the way I look at it, right? Like yeah, and, and just it, that, I just keep that in mind. It, that's all. Yeah, absolutely. You should always keep in mind with stuff like this. It's completely. You subjective. should always be aware. You should be aware you're doing it. And that's fine. You you know, like I said, when I do it, I do it because it's useful to me. But I am aware that I'm doing it. I'm impo- I'm imposing this on there because I see patterns that I like to think about and connect together. Um, but I mean, I've seen people who honestly think that literally, and I, there's a case to be made for this. The, the ones grouped together are the Burning Crusade and Legion, and that yeah. Shadowlands is very much going to be like Wrath of the Lich King point two point and I understand why people are saying that. I don't think of them that way, but I get the connective tissue between them. There, there is a, It's almost like a refrain in music mm-hmm. where you hear the same themes are being played, but differently. No, I, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, but I think that's going to do it unless you have anything else you want to add. Have I not talked enough? <laughs> 
Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.